it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 274. We have three great listener questions we're going to answer today. So without any preamble, I will go ahead and dive right in. So here we go. We have, hi, guys. Thank you for all the great work you're doing on the podcast. Something I've been trying to research for a while, but with limited success is likely more relevant given the banking events of the last few days. What are the congruent risks in investment accounts? Should a major brokerage fail, what would be the investor slash consumer impact? Would our stock, bond, and other assets be better protected in this scenario? What if we're holding cash in these accounts? Thanks. Keep up the great work, Mike. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Mike's great question, given all the banking brouhaha over the last few weeks? <laughs> brouhaha is a great word for it. Yeah. Well, he used congruent, so I got to I gotta keep up with him. <laughs> there you go. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> The short answer is yes, you will be protected. There are limits to it, but you will be protected. So in the banking world with your checking account, it's FDIC protection. And in the brokerage world, it's SIPC protection. So Dave, do you want to tackle one of those and talk about it? Sure. So FDIC is insurance that provides $250,000 in uh, accounts to if you the bank fails, for example, then you if you you get up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account um, that you would receive back um, in in cash. So that's insured. Uh, with the recent brouhaha with banking, uh, there has been some discussion about raising those limits. Uh, there's been some discussion about making make basically making everything insured, covering all accounts, regardless of whether you have three dollars or three hundred million. Uh, they've been de- talking about that. Whether or not any of that comes to pass, who knows? But uh, with the recent failure of uh, SIVP Bank, the Silicon Valley Bank, that came very much into focus in question. Uh, for most of us, that w- that's not really a concern. But for those business accounts in particular, that was was an issue. So, two hundred fifty thousand is what we're insured for. Whether it's a checking account, a savings account, or a CD, any of those types of accounts are all covered under that insurance. And now for the brokerage side, it is very similar. So it's called SIPC coverage. And you have 500000 in coverage per account. 
and that includes $250,000 in cash. So to use an example, if you have a brokerage account with Schwab and Schwab, I don't see them doing this because they actually have a great balance sheet, but if Schwab was dumb with investor money and went bankrupt, you would still be protected up to 500000 per account. Yep, exactly. And I guess the one last thing I want to kind of throw out there about this is there, there's been a lot of discussion about banking re- recently. And really what happened in particular with the two banks here in the United States is people got dumb. It, it wasn't a systemic problem with the banks per se. It was just some people made some very poor choices uh, on how they were investing the money the bank had. And when there was a run on the bank, that was is what caused the problem. It wasn't because you know banks are systemically bad. It's just these individuals that were running these particular banks made some very poor choices. And when kind of push came to shove, that's what caused the banks to fail. That's a extreme simplification, of course, but I, I feel like I need to say that as, I guess, the bank geek here um, to to help people realize that you know your the money you have in your bank is safe, so you don't need to worry about that. That's very well said. It's simple, and I think it communicates the reality really, really well. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question. So this is from Jasper. Uh, hi, Andrew, my name is Jasper. Uh, I recently started listening to your podcast, starting with the ones that date back to 2017. I am super new to investing and trying to learn more about the different concepts and uh, terminology. One question I do have is regarding ETF funds. So I have a taxable brokerage account with a Vanguard Total Market ETF. Would it make any sense to buy another type of ETF since the one I have covers the general stock market? So Andrew, I'm going to let you take first stab at Jasper. Jasper is a great question here. Yeah, it's a great question. So ETF, for if you're an absolute beginner out there, an ETF is basically a vehicle that buys a basket of stocks. So instead of having to buy 100 stocks or 1,000 stocks, I could buy the ETF, and the ETF holds those stocks for you. So the total market ETF from Vanguard covers the entire stock market, and so that looks beyond just the United States and takes you know a lot of companies out of the developing world. I don't know exactly how they characterize exactly which company is going to go in or out. That's what they're looking for. So it kind of depends on your goals. And Dave, you're kind of you're kind of talking off air about that. That there's no one size fit all answer to what's the most ideal investment choice for you because the most ideal investment choice for you is whatever makes you behave in the best way that you should behave to get good long-term results. And when you're investing, the best way to behave is to invest and hold for the long-term. Again, very, very simple, but not so easy in execution. And so that's why if you really want to start to dive down the rabbit hole, which you should, which helps your behavior, then you kind of have to ask yourself, okay, to what extent do I want to make changes? What am I looking for? What's my goals? And maybe those are some hypotheticals we could try to answer. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I mean, the the behavior part of it, I think, is 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 a big big part of investing. And 
it gets some conversation, but probably not enough. And, and I think Andrew's comment there was spot on. The idea that whatever you're doing that can cause you to continue to doing a good behavior is a great thing. And I think that's something that should be applauded and trumpeted and also, I guess, amplified. And I guess for Jasper, you know, to, to answer this question, we don't have all the particulars we would need. A couple of things that kind of spring to mind when I think about this question for Jasper is number one is what are your goals? What, what are your goals for investing? Do you want to be more involved in what you're doing? Or is it something that A, I know I need to do this. B, I don't have a lot of time. C, maybe I don't have a lot of, uh, interest per se. And when I say interest, I mean interest that you want to spend your free hours reading financial reports and studying the great investors. And if you don't want to do that, then that's totally okay. Then maybe you just want to learn a little bit about other opportunities and just stick to that. The thing with ETFs is that you can mix and match these to you can go nuts and have like 50 different ETFs or you can have one. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to invest. And it really, I guess the first question you'd want to ask yourself, if you're Jasper or anybody else that's kind of thinking about this, is what are your goals for investing? Is it to save money for your retirement? Is it to try to build your wealth? And do you want to do it as simply as possible? And maybe it's not uber important whether you pick Microsoft or Apple like that is not a burning question for you more it's more about trying to maximize your investments as well as your life and if that's important to you then hey you know doing something like this is perfect and i think the thing that i would think about would be what are my goals and how much do i want to really be involved because if you really want to be involved i think there's a whole rabbit hole that you can go down to try to find other things do we want to explore that for a minute When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, for sure. I guess before we do, the the goal of just buying the total stock market index fund and just being done with it. Can we unpack that a little bit? Like who does that work for and what does it basically accomplish for somebody? Well, the to me it accomplishes I guess several things. Number one is it establishes a habit that's easy to maintain. There isn't a lot of effort and a lot of work that needs to go into it. Uh, you can easily set up a a payroll deduction from your paycheck to Vanguard in your Vanguard account, and they will automatically de- you know invest it into that ETF for you on a on a biweekly, monthly, however you determine you want that to happen. They can automate all that for you so it happens without you having to do anything. And in a lot of cases, that's a great way to go because then you're not forced to go through all the rigmarole of transferring money and, and deciding what you want to buy and, and taking up you know, time. Uh, and so it helps establish the habit of, of continually investing, which is, I think, a, a fantastic thing. The other part of it, too, is it eliminates any of the guesswork or any of the stress of trying to decide what it is I want to invest in. You know, investing in the total overall market gives you the opportunity to participate in the world's greatest way of making wealth for ourselves, and that's investing in the stock market because you're partaking of not only the United States, but also maybe what's going on in Europe, for example. And so you can get kind of the best of both worlds with that. And I I think it's a, a great, easy way to get started. And you don't have to just stay with that. If there are other things that you want to do, you can mix and match these things however it works. There is no one size fits all or the optimal best way to invest. It really comes down to individual preference and what your goals are and what your risk tolerance is and how much you, and how much effort and and um, I guess time you want to spend on something like this. And I would say there's just there's there's the best way to put it for me is there's trade-offs to everything. So a the benefit of a total stock market index, the one that Vanguard offers, which I misspoke, it's not the whole world. They just do US. So I okay. probably should have looked that up. I obviously don't invest in it. <laughs> um, so the upside to that is you're getting pieces of pretty much the entire US publicly traded market. So as long as the U.S. does well, you're going to do well. That's the upside. The downside is that because it's spread out so much, you might not do as well as another investor who doesn't spread 
their money out as much. And then that's where the question comes, okay, well, like you were saying, Dave, do I have the time I want to spend to try to have better performance than the overall stock market? Do I think I'm going to be good at it? And then also, how much risk am I taking to try to do it? And am I humble enough to understand if I'm taking more risk than I should? Those are all things that that can kind of weigh into that formula. But I think for most people, if they're wanting to take a hands-off approach, I would say either do this total stock market index ETF or do an S&P 500 ETF, which is similar. It's just 500 of the more bigger companies instead of thousands of companies. And so that one tends to do a little bit better over the long term. But it could also not, depending on what time period you're looking at. So that's why I say there's trade-offs. There's no better or worse answer. There's trade-offs and and you just have to kind of consider all of that before saying, okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do. And to your point, it doesn't need to be the perfect plan when you're starting. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Right, exactly. And in the in one of our favorite books, uh, The Intelligent Investor, Benjamin Graham, who wrote the book, and for those who are not familiar with who Ben Graham is, he's really the father of value investing and was a huge mentor for, for Warren Buffett when he first started off uh, investing. And he basically categorized all investors into two camps. One camp was uh, defensive investors and the other one was enterprising investors. Andrew and I would probably fall in more of the category of enterprising investors. And what Jasper is talking about would fall under the category of defensive investors. And basically what that means is uh, he, he felt like defensive investors were people that were going to be more passive in, in their investing style. We're going to look at these kinds of investments as things that they would invest in on a regular basis, but weren't going to do a lot of work and weren't going to trade a lot. Weren't going to buy this and buy this and buy this and sell this and, and, and do lots of activity. That's more, we don't do that, but that's more uh, you know, an aggressive uh, offensive type of investing as opposed to a defensive style. And so it really kind of depends. But within that defensive investing style, you know, to, to Andrew's point, if you want exposure to emerging markets with the ETF world, you have that opportunity if you want to. And you can take a 1% allocation and you can even do it all under the Vanguard umbrella. They have literally... <laughs> Any kind of flavor of ETF you want that you can pick and choose. If you want to have, you know, I'm just going to throw out styles, you know, small cap value funds or mid cap growth funds or dividend growth investing. The world is your oyster if you want to have, a, you know, a more broader range of, of different kinds of ETFs that are available to you if you want them. Now, like Andrew was saying very astutely, it comes with trade offs. If you want to have those, that diversification or the the spreading of your investments, you're going to have to spend more time watching them, paying attention to them. They may not be as easy to manage as far as having regular investments. Um, so there's going to be trade-offs to, for, to doing those things as well. But the flip side is you could earn better returns maybe than you would for the, for the, the total stock market return ETF. It just depends. And, but again, it all comes down to what are your goals? What are your risk tolerance? And what kind of investor do you want to be? 
And I've said this before and I'll say it again. There's no, there's no shame. There's, there's no winner for complexity. Um, it's really comes down to what is going to work best for your life and what will get you where you want to go. And if sticking with the total market ETF is the best way to go for you and your life, then by all means, embrace it, go with it and go do a thousand other things. Um, if you want to be more involved, then you can certainly do that. The world is your oyster if you want to. Yes. And, uh, you know, just having one ETF to me, it is diversified because inside the ETF, you have the diversification. So all you got to do is just invest into that if that's what you want to do. And then you got to hold on. And that's because that's the hard part. (laughs) That's because the stock market can be very violent, like a roller coaster in the short term. But over the long term, just like the economy grows, so there's a stock market. But you got to hold on to get those gains. Otherwise, good luck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if you look at a chart of the stock market, if you zoom in on like a five-year period, it's gonna you're gonna it is gonna look exactly like you know a roller coaster at Six Flags, just up and down, huge drops and whatnot. But if you zoom back over a 20, 30, 50 year period, it all smooths out and you see this kind of gradual up to the right. Nobody can see me doing this, but <laughs> it, the, up to the right. And that's really what you, you will get if you hold through through those periods that Andrew was talking about. And that's that's the hard part. And that's where the psychology comes into it. But uh, if you if you if you do something like this, I think it would be a lot easier because you just set it and and, and just don't you don't have to look at it every day you just put the money in and then every six months look at it and go wow well that's awesome so i think it's you know it's it's a smart way to do it yep all right okay all right so now let's move on to the last question so we have hello dave and andrew i'm a fan of the podcast and have a growing passion for investing I have read The Unintelligent Investor, some Peter Lynch books, and am in the middle of reading The Warren Buffett Letters. I'm focusing on learning to understand a business better from looking at the financial statements. Do you have a recommendation for a book I should read next based on this? So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this great question? I mean, there's a couple I could think of. Um, I'm curious what what you think the next natural step is here. Because I, I have a couple that like I could throw into the mix, but I don't see one as being like, ooh, this is a, a perfect transition point. Right. Um, there's a couple that I think I've come across in my readings that I think are pretty good starting points, at least to kind of get you started down the path. Um, one is by a gentleman named Mihir Deshai. I probably butchered that name. And he is a professor at the Harvard Business, uh, the Harvard Business School. And the book is called How Finance Works, the HBR Guide to Thinking Smart About uh, the Stock Market. And basically what he does in this book, which I thought is kind of cool, is he takes a couple different companies and he walks you through each of the company's financial statements. So he walks you through the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And he uses different examples of sales that that Netflix, for example, might offer and shows you how money would flow through the statements. So you kind of get an idea of, of how they're connected and the definitions and stuff. And he does a pretty good job of of dumbing it down is not the right word for it, making it making it easier to read for mere mortals. So even though he teaches at Harvard, it's not you know, he's not using seventy five dollar words for every single sentence. It's 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 simpler language. And it's and it's easier to understand. And I, I found it to be a great book, even though when I read it, I still felt like I 
understood all these ideas fairly well. It just it was a good it was a good overview, and I thought that was a, a, a real simple one. Um, so that was one. The other one that I would throw out there is this I read a while ago. This is uh, the Warren Buffett and the interpretation of financial reports. So this was written by David Clark and Mary Buffett, and it's a it's an older book. And some of the terminology is a little older, but I thought it was a great book to kind of help me get started with learning how how the financial statements work and and kind of going from there. And, and given the fact that they're analyzing, you know, Warren Buffett and kind of talking about how he would look at it based on his his writings and his talks through the years, I thought it was very helpful. Ah, I didn't know you had a book that actually walked it through. That's almost just perfect. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't top that, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> the, the way I'll answer this question is kind of from a, a bigger picture idea, and that's just just follow whatever's most interesting for you. So if I think about like my journey to learning accounting and stock market metrics and financial statements, then maybe it's just me and you know you could be a completely different personality, in which case ignore this advice. But if you're like me, I like to just kind of follow what's interesting to me. And I can't remember if it was Sahil Bloom or somebody who's like got really profound ideas said something like, quit, was it Shane Parrish? Quit more books than, is it Shane? Yeah. It's basically quit way more books than you think you should. And so what I mean by that is like, if you're trying to learn about something about financial statements and you're just running into a brick wall, then quit and then find something else that maybe can teach you better because you're not, you know, kind of like learning a language. Um, You're not going to learn the language overnight. You kind of have to let your brain absorb it over time. And so my path to learning the cash flow statement might look very different than yours. And so I would just say, don't be afraid to like jump in and out of books. And if you're intimidated by a book, try a different one and understand that you can take your time to learn these things and you're not, you're not going to be able to do it overnight and that's okay and that's natural. Um, so if you're feeling discouraged, that's the advice I would give. Yeah, that, that, I think that's great advice. I think one thing that I would throw out there too is, Andrew's going to love this, think of it like the pizza analogy that I like to say. It can get confusing and overwhelming when you're looking at, at all of the information in totality. But if you take it piece by piece, like eating the pizza, you'll be able to work your way through how these different statements work, the different accounting terms and everything. And it could be a little overwhelming. And it was for me at first. It, I didn't quite get it at first. It took me a little while to kind of understand how they connected and the different terminology and what those different things mean. And I think it, it's like anything else. It's kind of like riding a bike. Once you do it and understand it, then it, then it, it, it'll come back to you very naturally, but it takes some practice and it takes some getting using it as a, as a regular, it, we have to think about it as a language, uh, the language of accounting. And like Buffett said, if you can't, if you don't understand the language of accounting, you, you're going to struggle to, to, to analyze companies because that's what they all operate on is the language of, of accounting. And so using, these different books that we're talking about, the references, Andrew's ideas, these are great places to start. But I think your curiosity will guide you. And if you get curious about how do I calculate free cash flow, where does that come from? 
even just starting something like that, which only has a few inputs, it'll, you'll start to understand where that fits on the free cash flow statement or the cash flow statement and where the inputs come from and kind of how they connect to each other. And it, from there, you'll start to you start to build on your knowledge and it'll compound. And before you know it, you'll be like, oh, I understand this stuff. Because the, the nice thing is, is that once you learn it, it doesn't change much. And so an asset is an asset, a liability is a liability. It doesn't change much. Uh, the people that govern accounting standards don't aren't known for their quickness of making decisions on change. So uh, you're, you're, once you understand what an income statement is and what revenue is, that's not going to change. So um, that makes it easier. It's, it, it's more of a, it's less of a moving target. Um, and I, I find that that kind of thing helps a lot, but the more you use it, the more it will become more natural for you to do it. So a great thing that I did was I looked at I looked at a company's cash flow statement and then I compared it to the book I was reading and then tried to kind of match the terms. And as I started using it more and more, then it started to make more sense to me. Um, but that's just, that's just the way that I'm built. That's kind of, I, I have to reverse engineer things. And then once I do it, then I understand it and then it makes a lot more sense to me. But, um, th- I think these, these resources will definitely get you on the way. But the fact that you've read the intelligent investor, Peter Lynch and are reading the Buffett letters is going to put you miles ahead for sure. And, you know, the Buffett letters alone are going to teach you so much about this stuff in particular. And you can even take advantage advantage of some of what he's talking about and look at their their financial statements and kind of compare what he's talking about and help start put the pieces together. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I would start with the book that they've recommended first. If you're further down along the path, some books that kind of jumped out to me that helped me learn like Joel Greenblatt helped me learn um, earnings. Uh, no, Joel Greenblatt helped me learn return on capital. Um, Oswath Damodoran, his little book evaluation that's helped learn discounted cash flow. Vitaly's, Vitaly Katzenelson, we've had him on the show a couple of times. His little book of sideways markets helped me learn valuation. And also Robert Hagstrom has a book, The Warren Buffett Way. That one helped me learn about owner's earnings. So you can see there's like a lot of different books along that path. Um, if you're more advanced, maybe some of those might be helpful too. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think the last, I guess, resource that I would throw out there is Twitter. Um, there are some people on Twitter that really try to focus on the basics of accounting and the basics of understanding how companies work and things uh, the Brian Feraldi and Brian Stoffel, for example, and Brian Withers, all the three Brian's um, we've had Brian on our show multiple times and they're, they're a great resource. They have a lot of great Twitter threads that are free that you can learn. They kind of help explain the overview of the income statement, for example. And those are, those are great resources, especially if you're a visual person because they show they have different uh, diagrams and everything that they kind of explain the different line items in the income statement, for example. And they, that could be very helpful as well. Dave, you do it pretty well on Twitter too um, for the podcast Twitter. Maybe people can reach out and who knows, they might get a response from you too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I try really hard to, to, to respond to people. So if anybody has any questions and they want to reach out to me there, by all means, feel free. The DMs are open, as they and say. They, <laughs> the handle? The handle. Uh, IFB underscore podcast. 
All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention that we have a survey going on right now uh, through our podcast platform. And there will be a link in the show notes that you could reach out and fill out a, a survey. It takes about five minutes or so. It's very interesting. It just helps us get a better sense of who's listening to us, what you guys like, what you guys don't like, and how we can make the show better. And so if you want to help improve the show, please give uh, the survey a chance. You'll also be entered in a raffle to win a $500 gift card from Amazon as well. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also, if you have any questions about anything that we talked about today and you're not sure about uh, what is the income statement thing that they're talking about, go to our website, einvestingforbeginners.com. There's a huge search bar at the top of the page. You can learn all you want to know about accounting from our website if you want. We have written uh, 1,100 articles to date. And not all of them are about accounting, but a lot are. And so if you want to learn about anything that's related to accounting, we have an article there to help you get better at investing. So that'll be a big help for you. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.